I'm not going to use this. There we go. Y'all still hear me? As long as I speak up and nobody else is singing, I think that'll work. There's a old there's an old story told about after Jesus was raised uh, from the dead, he'd talked to his disciples, he had commissioned them to go out and share the gospel, and then he ascended into heaven. And when he did, as the story goes, is the angels met him there, and they said, you know, we've been watching what you've been up to, and we're really excited about this, and we want to know now how are you going to get the word out about the salvation that you have accomplished for the people that you love so much? How are you going to get that word out to the whole world? And Jesus responded, well, if you've been watching, you know that there are these 12 guys, and I have invested in them over the past three years, and I've talked with them, and I've taught them, and I've shown them signs of the kingdom, and I've eaten with them, and have really uh, spent a lot of time with them over the last three years. Eleven of them are still there, and I have now commissioned them to go into the world and to tell other people what they have seen, what they have experienced in, uh, in me. And the angel said, yeah, we saw those guys, and so that's why we were wondering, um, what's plan B? <laughs> At which point Jesus says, there is no plan B. They need to share what they have seen and experienced, and only through them is this message going to reach the whole world. Now, the reason I share that story is not because it's a true story, but because I think it helps to illustrate the need for people who have met Jesus to share him with those who haven't. And it is only through us that this message gets out to the whole world. And so a lot of times we watch the news and we see things going on in the world and we say, oh my goodness, this is horrible if only these people knew Jesus. And yet we don't share him with anybody. So how will they hear? That is why we're doing a series, a five-week series, on reach. R-E-A-C-H. Each letter of the word reach stands for another way in which we can reach people and their families for Jesus. This week, if this is your first Sunday here as a part of this series, let me catch you up on where we are. And if you want more detail in all of this, the sermons previously are online on our website. And if you can only be here this Sunday, the next ones will also be on our website as well. You can get the complete series that way. Um, but this week, sermon should stand alone as it is. But just to catch you up, R from Reach stands for remember. As in, remember that God saves people. We do not save anybody, but God saves people. And as you read through the whole of the Bible, that's what you see over and over, is God saving people who need to be saved. He is the one who does the rescuing. He is the one who does the saving, even though he uses us in ministry to communicate the message. We are not the ones who save anybody. God is the one who does the saving. And so... uh, Letter R is remember God saves people. So before you engage 
in any form of evangelism, of telling the good news, which is what evangelism means, telling the good news of Jesus, we have to be people who pray. Praying to God because he is the one who saves people. He is the one who softens hearts. He is the one who changes lives. Number two is the letter E, R-E, and E we talked about last week, which stands for engage. And so once people have this good idea that really sets uh, sinks in that God saves people, they say, oh, well, if I don't do it, if it's not my deal, that's God's deal, I'll let him do it, and I'll just sit back and do nothing. But that also misses the point. Because God has invited us, and not only invited us, but actually commanded us to be engaged with the world around us, that we are to be those who share the good news with others. So yes, God does the saving, he gets the glory, and yet we still get to be a part of what he's doing, and we get to be involved in ministry, and we get to be those who share the good news. And so we need to be engaged with uh, those around us. Number three is the letter A, and that is today. Today, we are looking at the letter A, which stands for accept. Accept. We'll talk a bit more about what that means as we go through this. We are looking at John chapter 4. A familiar story of Jesus uh, meeting a woman at a well and some of their conversation. We're going to read verses 1 through 26. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for all the things that you have given us. We thank you for uh, we thank you for the Bible that we have to read. We thank you for its its warnings. We thank you for its commands. Or we thank you for its encouragements. Most of all, we thank you for the ways in which it reveals who you are in a way that we would not be able to figure out on our own. God, we pray that you would open our ears and our minds this morning as we consider more about who you are and the ways in which you are at work in this world, in our lives, and in the lives of those around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26 says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one whom, the one speaking to you, I am He. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. There's a lot going on in this passage. We're taking multiple weeks to go through it. And so today, we're not going to hit on everything. We're just going to look at really one thing. And that is the way that Jesus did not just engage this woman in conversation, but the way that he shows acceptance of who she is, even though there were a lot of strikes against her. For the one thing, this is this is a Samaritan woman. Jesus is neither of those. Jesus is doing something right here that none of the other Jewish rabbis would have done. Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. Now, if you don't know about the uh, disconnect between the Jews and the Samaritans, you cannot properly appreciate the gap that's being crossed here. The Samaritans, you see, were people who had, years before, when the people of Israel had been kicked out of the land, there were a few who stayed, and when people came in to resettle, they intermarried. Their descendants were the Samaritans. So when the Israelites came back into the land and there were people who were already there, they had been intermarried with these other people. And you say, well, is this a racial thing? Not exactly. It was a religious thing. Because in the marrying of other peoples, there was the worshiping of other gods. And that was the whole issue. So when people came in back to Israel, and they looked at these Samaritans, and Samaritans said, yeah, we, we kind of worship the same God as you do. And they said, well, not really. And they start looking at the differences, and they said, actually, you worship lots of other gods, and then kind of 
tack the real God on there as well to kind of cover your bases. That's not okay. We're not going to have anything to do with you. And so there was a very clear line. In fact, it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was going back up to Galilee. Samaria was kind of this region in between Jerusalem and Galilee up in the north. And so, yeah, the direct way to go is through Samaria. But a lot of the Jewish people disliked the Samaritans so much and wanted to stay so far removed from them that they would take the long way and go around. Which, if you're you're driving your truck, may not be that big a deal, but if you're on foot, you must really dislike these people. But Jesus goes right through Samaria, and he encounters this woman, and as we mentioned last week, there's no way that she would have thought that he's going to talk to her. He's a Jewish rabbi, teacher, man, and she is a Samaritan woman, the men and the women did not talk, talk openly and publicly like that. So for him to talk to her is a big deal. He's crossing a lot of boundaries that many would not have crossed. In, in fact, it's worse than that. When he says, go call your husband and come back, and she said, I have no husband, and he says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. She confirms it by saying, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, there may be some questions as to how Jesus knew this. Was this divine revelation where, because he is not only fully man, but also fully divine, he knew things about her that others didn't know. We see that happening in other places where Jesus knows what the Pharisees are thinking without them even having to say anything out loud and answering their thoughts. It's possible. It's also possible she had a reputation that preceded her. Or it's also possible that, like a Sherlock Holmes sort of character, Jesus figures things out from where she is, when she's there, things about her appearance and says, ah, I know what's going on here. But how Jesus knows this is not the point. Not at all. In fact, the point is not how he knows it, but that he knows it and still talks with her. Here we have a Samaritan who should not be talked to, a woman who should not be talked to, and not only a Samaritan woman, but one who has uh, been practicing serial monogamy. Going from one husband to another, to another, to another, to another, to an, I lose track. This is not somebody Jesus ought to be talking to. This could ruin his reputation. And so the fact that he knew it and talks to her anyway, that's something that would not have happened. In Luke chapter 15, it says that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Jesus does not stay back. He does not stay distant from sinners. You remember when Jesus tells the parable of the, uh, the Good Samaritan? We're so used to that phrase, the Good Samaritan, that we have a hard time even understanding that it was a big deal for him to talk to a Samaritan at all. But back then, it was such a big deal that if you were to say, all right, I got a joke. There was a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, and they're walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everybody would get all excited because they're like, oh, here comes the punchline of Samaritan. They're going to get it. And yet the way Jesus tells the story, the Samaritan is the punchline. But not at all in the way the teachers of the law expect. Because what ends up happening is he makes the religious leaders look foolish because they see a person in need, someone who has been beaten up, robbed, stripped, and left for dead. And when they pass by, they pass way by. They don't stop to help. It's the Samaritan that actually stops to help in Jesus' parable. And when he asks the, the uh, young man, what is, okay, which one is the neighbor? He can't even bring himself to say it was the Samaritan. He just says, oh, it's the one who had mercy on him. That's what a big deal it was for them to be uh, a Samaritan. Wouldn't even say the word. And yet... And this is what the teachers of the law are doing. They're acting just like the priest and the Levite in the story Jesus tells. When they see tax collectors, when they see sinners, they don't go hang out with them. They don't go eat with them. They avoid them. They separate themselves off with good intentions. Because they understand, you know, uh, that company, bad company, can corrupt They say, we don't want to be influenced by that. We don't want to be around those who might cause us to be less than pure before God. But as Jesus communicates in the parable of the Good Samaritan, God doesn't want us to separate ourselves from the evil of the world. He wants us to go and help all of the problems the evil of the world has caused. This is what we see in that parable. This is what we see in Luke 15. When Jesus tells another parable, he says to these who have said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is another place. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But think about this parable he tells. The, the sheep that goes away and is lost. And he leaves the 99 and he goes after the sheep. And when he finds it, he grabs the biggest stick he can and he beats it severely and says, don't you ever go away again. Or did you miss that part? Oh wait, that wasn't in there, was it? When he finds the sheep that's gone so far away and is lost, he rejoices and he picks it up and he carries it home. A friend, Matt Halstead, is the one who came up with the REACH uh, acronym 
pastoring in Oklahoma now, when talking about this particular aspect, says some of us as Christians are more like the Pharisees than like Jesus because we're not interested in leading people to God. We're interested in leading them to the gallows. In other words, we understand that there's a problem of sin, that sin is far from the way of God, and that sin deserves to be punished, and that the punishment for sin is death. And unfortunately, what ends up happening is the message that Christians share is not the good news of salvation in Christ, but the bad news of judgment. And so we look around at a sinful world and we say, you're going to get it and you're going to get it and one day you're going to get it and I'm going to be laughing. At least that's the message that the world hears, whether or not that's the message we're sharing. I hope it's not. Because that was the message of the Pharisees. The message was, you guys have missed it. You are lost and you don't even see what I see. And so I'm going to distance myself from you. I'm going to be far away from you as possible. And one day you're going to find out you were in the wrong and God's going to get you. But for me, me and God are tight. We're good. And Jesus says, Maybe you're not as tight with God as you think you are because the way of God is not to come to bring judgment. But Jesus actually came to bear the judgment. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we see with this woman at the well, he knows everything about her. And still, he approaches her, he talks with her, He shares the good news with her and says, if you knew who it was, was speaking with you. Later he even tells her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he, that is the Messiah, the Christ. He says, if you knew who who it was that you're talking to, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. He offers her this gift of life. Does she deserve it? No. No. That's what grace is. We always define it. Grace is giving rewards apart from credit earned. It's not going after the lost sheep and making it feel really bad about what it's done by wandering off and saying, now, if I can, if you'll show me that you can get your act together, maybe I'll let you come back in. That's the going, the seeking, the finding, the rejoicing and bringing home. Grace comes first. Now, next week, we'll look at the letter C, which stands for challenge. And there's definitely a challenge to come. We're going to leave that till next week. For this week, the letter is A for accept. We accept people for where they are, not because they deserve it, not because they've got everything right, but because we understand that we didn't have anything right when Jesus came for us. When he picked us up joyfully and carried us home. And so as we approach others, which hopefully we will, remember that God saves people, that we will actually be engaged in conversations 
with our friends and family and neighbors, and that we will do so primarily in an attitude that accepts, accepts them where they are, who they are, that we don't try to change them, to clean them up so that Jesus will be okay with them, but that we come and we bring the good news of Jesus to them. Grace comes first. Acceptance comes before the challenge. Like I say, we'll get to the challenge next week. We don't leave that out. But we always have to remember, grace comes first. Acceptance comes first. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for not leaving us alone in our sin, in the ways that we have each turned from you and gone our own way. But God, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son that we would not perish, that all those who believe in and trust in Jesus would find forgiveness of sins and eternal life with you forever. God, we ask that that you would open our eyes to the world around us, that you would give us a heart that reflects your heart, that we would not only be be burdened with the pain that sin causes, but God, that we would be those who offer the good news of the salvation that can be found in Jesus. That we would be people who are known more by our love, that looks like your love, more by what we are for than by what we're against. That we would be people who lead with grace and acceptance as we seek to lead people not to judgment, but to their Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.